Hello, everybody. Today, we are doing a chill Q&A hangout. If you would like to grow as an artist, then you can take an art class. We've got everything you need here at Art Prof. Critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. I love this Friday night check-in. And I feel that I get as much out of it as all of you to talk about our current projects, subjects we're thinking about, art supplies we want to buy. <laughs> a big list. So tell me in the chat, what are you working on right now? Or maybe you're not physically making artwork. Maybe you're thinking about it. Maybe there's an idea. Maybe you saw something that gave you some inspiration. That's really what these hangouts are for, for us to share those spontaneous things that happen to us throughout the week. So I hope some of you will say in the chat what you have been up to. And if you have any questions about any aspect of being an artist, let me know in the Q&A because I love that you all teach each other. Chances are, if one of you has a question, someone else, probably way more than that, <laughs> have the exact same question. And there is a lot of overlap. Doesn't matter your age, your experience, your interest, as much as so many parts of being an artist, different fields, genres, they might feel so unrelated, but I'm just finding more and the more, the older I get, the more I work with different types of people, which Art Prof has allowed me to do globally, it's really incredible. I start to see that things really are not that different, that a lot of these fundamentals that we talk about really do move across fields. Shape is always shape, whether it's in a comic or in an oil painting or even in architecture. Architecture is so much about shape. And I just love seeing how things like that come together, that things really do have a strong relationship. Oh, good. I'm so glad you said hello, Ray. I know that there are many of you who work, and I think that's totally fine. It's not for everybody to interact in the Discord or in the chat, and I totally get that. But it is so nice when I get to hear from a lurker. So if you're a lurker, just type me into the chat because I just love seeing new names. It's really, really fun. And I've met people at meetups who were lurkers, never spoke to them before and who knew our content like the back of their hand. We have Kat who says, just getting back into art, I was scared to start because I knew I had to start over with the fundamentals. I had no clue what to do. So I'm just jumping in and learning the fundamentals. Oh, it's very intimidating trying to figure out where to get started, especially if you've had some time away. And oftentimes it's not clear where to begin. It's extremely confusing sometimes. So Kat, if there's some aspect of learning, maybe some goal, even a really loose one, if you want to type that into the chat, I'm happy to direct you to something more specific, because I think it is very overwhelming 
to know where to begin. And actually, the two places I recommend people start with us is actually the curriculums, because the curriculums are an overview. So let's say the illustration curriculum tells you the lay of the land as far as the illustration industry, illustration prompts and skills and supplies. We have one that's on animation. We have some that are on painting. So the curriculums are a great place to start because I find oftentimes people have something they want to learn. I want to get better at comics. But if you don't have experience or you don't have somebody guiding you, it's oftentimes really unclear just what skills or even what's out there. I mean, there are whole fields of illustration that I didn't even know existed before I was an illustration major. And so that's where I think the curriculums are extremely helpful. Just so you realize, oh, okay, this is part of animation. This is his genre of illustration that I didn't know about. And then when you want to pick up your pencil, check out our tracks. These are free. All our content is free. You all know that. <laughs> and the tracks are really great to actually sit down and do something. And the way I've designed them, because they're basically a sequence of video lessons and prompts, you can do them at your own pace. And it's lesson one, two, three, four, and so forth. And I've designed them so that each lesson builds upon the next one. So it's a logical sequence that you move towards. And we've had a lot of people finish the tracks. We feature them in videos. It's a really wonderful program. And I, I'm just so proud of people who are working on a track and you don't have to finish it. You can just do a little bit. It's so valuable. Oh, I'm so glad to see all of these me's. You guys are fantastic. I just love that so much. And Kat is following up. I honestly don't have a set goal. I just want to reteach myself and go from there. I kind of think that eventually I want to get into painting and color pencil, but I'm still kind of clueless. That's fine. <laughs> I think a lot of the times being an artist is just wandering around. That sounds very basic, but there are so many goals I created for myself that then upon perhaps gaining another skill or finding out something, I just abandoned. I just said to myself, oh, that, that's actually not what I wanted to. And I didn't know it until I actually sat down and did some study or tried it. And there's other times I'm working on something and I think I know what I want to do and how to go about doing it. But then in the process of working on it, I realized that actually I don't really know. And, oh, I need to go back and learn this other skill because it's a gap that's forming. So Kat, I think this idea of you learning the fundamentals, it can be a very reactive process that whatever gets thrown at you, you react to it and evaluate from there how to go forward really challenging. Well, very cool. All of you are sharing your projects. We've got concept art from Karasu. Retrospective is putting together a video. Artsy Nurse is doing yearly stripper gingerbread cookies. <laughs> Gigi is doing an art style study. Ellie Dove is doing the 2500 challenge. And we also have 
I believe Blue is working on a graphite piece. This is great. I love seeing the variety. Sarah says, I've become obsessed with trees. I've been studying how the masters drew and painted them and trying to reconstruct their process. That is such a great way to really get in the head of those old masters. Because you know something? You can look at all the paintings you want for as many hours as you want, and you can read all these articles. But ultimately, what really gets you to profoundly understand that process is to do what they did. And a lot of people I know do master copies and they get very upset that, oh my gosh, this master copy, it doesn't look accurate. It doesn't look enough like this Degas painting. And I tell them, listen, the point of the master copy is not to make an accurate piece. It's to experience something similar to what that artist did. And if you do that and you have an experience, you've succeeded. The final piece is like the leftovers. It's really not that important. Counselor Chip is embracing my ADHD power carving, playing with polymer clay. I don't know how to pronounce this. Makume game? Taking oil painting lessons, still wood turning. No wonder. Not all who wander are lost. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Blue Wolf is asking, what is the name of the head on the table? You know something? That's a really good question. I, I don't think he has a name. I really should name him, right? Okay, tell me in the chat, what should he be named? Because my printmaking press is named Benedict. And I have another thing that I got in the raffle that is gonna have a name. We're gonna do a whole unboxing because it's very dramatic, it's a very big box, but he definitely needs a name. So let's think about that, let's brainstorm. It has to be somehow related to my interest or it has to be very nerdy and somehow teach our history through the name. Contemporary Sumera says, I'm a wanderer. I love so many styles and struggle with having one set style. People tell me I have a style. I'm like, no, I don't. It's okay. Regardless of how you or other people feel about it. I do believe that fundamentally speaking, we are absolutely who we are. And it's interesting how sometimes no matter how far I wander from whatever it is that I'm doing, I somehow come back. Does anybody here experience that where you do something and then you drop it and then a year, several years later, you come back to that same thing. It's funny. Things come in and out of our lives and I like seeing those patterns. And RJ is asking, I aspire to make a living as an artist one day, but struggle with imposter syndrome. Any advice for overcoming this? Okay, everybody raise a hand <laughs> in the chat. Tell us, just say yes, if you have experienced imposter syndrome. And if you want, give us an example or a context where you have felt imposter syndrome. Maybe you were applying to school, maybe you were working on portraits and you saw someone else's portraits and it made you feel that way. My tip for overcoming imposter syndrome, 
would be to make spaces for yourself where you don't have to see other people's stuff because I'm online a lot, obviously, because this is the platform. But I think sometimes the consequence of that is I just see so much artwork from everybody all the time. And I'll be honest, some days I wish I could just tune it all out. I try, but it's sort of hard because I do have to work on art prof every day. But I just find if you can find a little cocoon that you can exist in where you aren't looking at other people's work, you aren't reading about other people's successes, it's actually very helpful. So if you can find a little desert island, <laughs> a metaphorical desert island you can travel to, that is very helpful. The other thing that I think is very important is to have a supportive community who can be there to tell you, yes, you're not crazy. Yes. So many of us feel the exact same way. And I just think when you're an artist and you're trying to be an artist by yourself, that is the hardest thing. Tell me in the chat, how many of you here didn't have a community at one point? I mean, you do now because you're here, of course, which I love. And has that community helped you with stuff like that? Because I've been having quite a bit of it lately because I have this new goal of giving movie poster illustration a shot. I don't know anything about the field. I'm trying to do some research right now. And I actually did sign up for an online course with a designer at Netflix that I was very excited. I was like, wow, I never get to take an online class. I'm always the person teaching the online class. So the thing about the community, RJ, is that you can ask these questions like you are right now. And the important thing is that you're not getting suggestions from one person. You're hearing it from many people. Because sure, I'm the teacher here and I'm leading the discussion and doing the live stream, but Artists have to have conversations that are more than one person and that are diverse and that allow us to enrich each other. So here's an example is our Discord server is a great place. It's free. We have public channels. And these are incredibly helpful for people because I feel like half the time when I'm talking to somebody about, oh, I'm frustrated about this, I just need to be told it's okay. <laughs> I know that's really silly. It's not big advice to be told it's okay. But actually, Kat has been helping me a lot because I think some of you may have seen I'm working on this movie poster illustration. I'm hoping I can finish this. I started it on the live stream. If you guys want a good laugh, watch the live stream <laughs> where I started. It's so terrifying. Oh my gosh. So I resurrected it. But again, I was feeling that nervousness because I was feeling pressure to do digital because so many movie posters are digital or they have some significant digital. I mean, they have to because of the topography and all those kinds of things. And so I was talking to Kat and I said, listen, I feel really bad that my digital skills are zip. My digital skills for Photoshop is need to know basis. 
it's like, oh, what's that one tool that I can cut this with? <laughs> That's pretty much it. I don't fundamentally understand it. And I said to her, well, I really got to beef up the digital stuff. And she set me straight. She said, listen, this is sort of a sunk fallacy for you to feel like you have to make the work digital. And I'm not saying I need to make it digital, but I was feeling pressure that, oh, I would do some type of traditional illustration. And then I would go in and add some digital aspect. I'll show you guys really briefly what that looks like. And, and I'll explain to you how Kat set me straight. I mean, they're terrible. Of course they're terrible. <laughs> That's what's gonna happen when you don't know what you're doing and you're just messing around. And messing around is a good thing. I think everybody should mess around. So these are some of the digital sketch. I mean, I threw these together. These, these did not take a long time. And guess what? I had to ask my teenager how to make the mask. I know it's really pathetic. But anyway, I showed these to Kat and she's like, Clara, you don't need to do that. I was like, really? You don't think I need to overhaul my digital? Because I was feeling imposter syndrome about that for sure. And Kat was like, you can just have graphic elements, but paint them traditionally. She said she thought it was a bad idea. I was like, really? Wow. Okay. It's just one conversation. It wasn't even a long one. And so that's a great example where having somebody there to set you straight and to make you realize, hey, Clara, you don't have to spend thousands of hours learning digital because you think you should. And she said, listen, do you even like digital? I'm like, I guess I could in theory, but it's not my favorite cup of tea. And she said, it's okay. It's fine. And we've got some suggestions for my skull, Fred the Head, Mr. Pettibone. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. And now RJ, see, these are all the people who are telling us that they feel imposter syndrome. Oh, Brian, good question. Imposter syndrome. I'm not going to give an official definition. If you want one, I look it up. But my take, my understanding of it is feeling like you're posing and you're not good enough to do something and that people are going to find out that you're a fraud. Not technically a fraud, but just that, oh, you're not very good. You're, you're not as good as, like, you don't deserve to be here. Let's say, let's say you come to our Discord and you see other people's stuff that they're posting and you look at it and you think, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not good enough of an artist to be in this Discord because I feel like everybody else's paintings are better. That's how I would define it. Yeah, I mean, the, the names just keep coming in. <laughs> this is fantastic. Okay, we have a question. Amber's asking, do you think you'll, you will world build in your art? Probably not because the way I'm seeing the illustration that I'm doing, and this could certainly change, at least right now in my head, I'm thinking about it as one-off illustrations. It's not like Jordan who has built this incredible world of shadow boxers. 
I mean, his goals are very different. He wants to have his own animated series. Very different thing. But I feel like if I make work that's narrative, it's either a personal narrative, and I've done plenty of work like that, or it's a narrative that's been given to me. I guess I'm not interested in writing fictional stories. It's not really my thing, but who knows? Maybe it could change someday. You guys, I love this. Isn't this so fun? Just hanging out and relaxing together. We have another question. I'm sorry if I miss your comp question. Please feel free to put it in the chat again because sometimes I miss it. The question we have is from Retrospective who says, have you ever made any kind of artwork based on movies or videos? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I've been on a big Broadway kick, but actually now that I'm working on this Joker piece, actually, this is interesting. And I feel like it's serendipity because somebody made a comment on one of our videos and said, oh, you'd be so good at doing horror movies, posters. And it's really cool. I can't remember if I told you guys the story, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. I have been just emailing like crazy, advertising agencies, art directors, all these different people. Hi, here's my portfolio type of thing. I think I must have sent out at least 50 emails. I got four replies. Two of them were, oh, we don't have anything right now. I had one person who said, oh, I have this thing maybe. And I had another person who said, oh, but your work is really good, keep in touch. And I consider that a win. <laughs> Sophie, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but anyway. In terms of sending this out, so I sent it out to this one person who called me on the phone, which a lot of people just don't do that anymore. And I was so happy that he called. I was like, wow, that's really, really generous of you. And it turned out that he wasn't somebody who was an art director. I guess I found him on the site with all these other art directors and it was a little unclear. So it turned out he, he's an actual movie poster artist. Like that's what he does. And I was like, wow, this is gold mine of information I'm being given right now in this phone call. And he was so nice. He gave me so much good advice. And he said to me, listen, I had a lot of people who helped me in the past and I figure I should pay it forward. And I was like, wow, people ask me here all the time about networking. How do I approach people? How do I make those contacts? I mean, this was very lucky. I don't think this has ever happened to me where somebody I didn't know at all reached out to me and was so generous about what they told me. This is not a common experience, but I was very grateful for it. And he told me so many good things that probably would have taken me forever to find online, if at all. And one of the things that he told me that I was so grateful for, he said that actually movie poster illustration is really big in horror movies. He said that people who like horror movies tend to appreciate the whole genre of movie poster illustration in a very different way that's very specific. 
And when he said that, I was like, dude, I'm there. I'm like, I can do that. I love that type of thing. <laughs> so maybe the next movie poster sample I do for my portfolio, and maybe that is going to be a horror movie. Oh, oh, so while we're at it, give me your horror movie suggestions. It's hard to pick one because there are so many and I feel like I do have to watch it. And I do like horror movies. The last one I saw was Megan. It was a little silly, but I had fun. <laughs> but yeah, give me some of those. But don't give me one that's really hard. Don't give me like The Exorcist. It's too classic. I don't want to touch something like that. But I, I would love to hear your suggestions because I have to make these samples if I'm going to try to get hired. Neil is asking, any tips on how to develop the concepts behind our artworks? I feel like my concepts are surface level, not mature enough. It's usually a matter of getting past the cliches. We have a video about that. Identify the cliche. What's the cliche here? Okay, let's not do that. And a lot of it is spending time with the subject. Because I find sometimes people just don't spend the time to have that concept marinate in their head. And you can't rush that. There's no way to speed up that process. So if you spend, let's say, a week working on a subject, that's very different if that subject is with you for a year. I mean, I've had projects I spent four years with, and there's sort of no way you can spend that much time with a subject and have it be surface level. I mean, I guess it's just sitting there. Yeah, that could happen, but probably not. Because when you spend that much time with something, you have to go deeper than the surface level. A lot of it is really researching. And I don't mean Google it, read a couple articles and say you're done. Like read a book, go to the library, talk to people who are in whatever thing you're trying to do. I know Kat, for her nostalgia graphic novel, or maybe it was the other one, Mama Bruja, where she interviewed so many people, pages and pages of interviews to get content from. And so you need to find ways to develop the idea that are different than just looking it up online. Because if you interview somebody about their experience, oh my gosh, think about what a gold mine that is to actually get to talk to somebody who's related to your subject. That is powerful. And that think about it this way, how many artists take the time to do that? Actually, tell me in the chat, who here has ever had to seek out maybe somebody you don't know or tried to contact somebody on Instagram or whatever because you needed some amount of information, some subject, something you needed to make the artwork? That's enormously important. It can happen in all different kinds of ways. Ha! <laughs> I love this counselorship. I have imposter syndrome right in front of my clients and I cannot let them see me freak out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the number of times that I I'm not exaggerating. I would teach a lesson and I learned it that week. <laughs> Although the most dramatic one is when I told the RISD illustration department that I could teach a class in linear perspective in the fall. And I didn't know anything about 
in your nothing. I spent my whole summer teaching myself linear perspective. So yeah, it, that whole thing until you make a thing actually works, everybody. She says, sometimes in looking at my art, I truly despise it. What do you think I should do to improve my attitude? Oh, it's hard. I suspect there are a lot of people here who at any point have just ugh, despised what you're making. And actually, G, we do have a whole discussion dedicated to that. If you just type into YouTube, art prof hate, <laughs> you'll find that video about hating your artwork. And sometimes it is a shift of how you think that certainly does help. I'll tell you what works for me though. I need to distract myself and that can happen in any kind of way. There's a reason why I spent the money for these noise canceling headphones, because when I'm really into what I'm listening to, I just am not obsessing because I ruminate like crazy. You guys, you probably have no idea how much I ruminate and I, I pour over things multiple times. It's not very healthy, but one of my coping mechanisms is to distract myself. So when I'm making work, I'm not judging myself in the process because that is so disruptive. And so that's one of the reasons why one of my favorite places to paint is in front of the TV because I can watch a movie. And because I'm watching, and it's usually a movie I've watched a thousand times. My go-to is the imitation game because Benedict Cumberbatch and Matthew Good are in it. And I love putting on that movie because I know the whole thing beginning to end. And so I'm listening to it and I'm painting, but I'm not judging myself while I paint. So that's another thing you can do, G, is try to reserve judgment. So if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm watching a movie halfway. My brain is distracted enough that I can't judge and be like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. Oh no, should I have done that? That whole questioning process can be very difficult. I like this from Emmett. It's important for me to retrain my thinking away from envy and towards celebration when I see another artist's work because it's amazing. See. I know in theory, I'm supposed to do that all the time, but I, I can't. I mean, there's a reason I have videos <laughs> where I confess to envying people. It's hard. It's a very <clears throat> difficult balance for all artists. And oh no typos, the only art communities I've had came from classes and then college. And even though I'm still friends with classmates, I feel isolated again. That's very common. College is just so easy to hang out with people. You just run into people all day. And when you get older, you're adults. Oh my gosh, why is it so difficult to make one date? I hope this is not just me because sometimes I have a friend I wanna see and I feel like I'm booking an appointment to see the president. It depends on the friend, obviously, and I get it, but unless you're the Pope, like, come on. <laughs> so it can be very challenging to have that. And so for me, 
I'm for real, this community is a lifesaver. If I didn't have you guys, sure, I would have conversations, but they would not be remotely as often. Actually, the teaching artists, they have told me on multiple occasions that they love our staff calls because it's every week we talk together for an hour. And actually, one of the things I do on the staff calls is we start by everybody giving a studio update. And so we all go around and we tell each other what's happening, what we're thinking about. And that's only about 10 minutes of the meeting. But I love that moment that we're together. I mean, it's hard to get seven artists on a call at the same time. And so that's why the structure we have here makes that possible. And over in the Discord, that's where we have those weekly voice sessions in the Patreon group. And so I find Ono Typos, what's important, what's helpful is to have structures in place to allow those conversations to happen. Because like in our Patreon group, for example, you guys don't have to schedule anything. You just know that, oh, once a week, one of us is going to be on voice and you just drop in when you feel like it. I think what's difficult is making the plans to have those conversations. This is exhausting. Most people can't do that. And we have the next comment is, let's see, sorry, scrolling through the comments. Sarah M is saying, if you paint thickly, is that imposter syndrome? Yes, it is. Oh, you guys. Anna had it as well. Oh, you guys are so funny. <laughs> Counselor Chip is asking, what art do you fear the most and when will you face it? Counselor Chip, can you elaborate? Are you talking about my art? What is the type of art that I fear making? Or if it's something else? And then I'll come back to your comment. And let's see. Oh, Retrospective says, this is a follow-up. Reason I ask that is because I'm currently inspired by Black Swan and Wild Tales. I've been using them in order to create the video for the end of this year, dark, but also aesthetic. Cool. Yeah, I didn't like Black Swan. I thought I would. It wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> oh, this is so true, Karasu. This is why I freely admit that I can't always be happy for everybody all the time for every single success. Karasu explains, it also hurts really bad when I see other artists being successful. I want that for myself. Okay, you want to hear a confession? <laughs> there are a couple big artists awards. One of the biggest ones is the Guggenheim. Another one is MacArthur. Although that one you can win for anything. You can be a scientist or whatever. And I confess that every year when the list of artists who won a Guggenheim, actually the Guggenheim, you can be anything too. Sorry. Those are not art specific awards. So every year I look at the list of the artists who win the Guggenheim. And this is perhaps the drawback of being in academia. I always know at least one person on that list. The one time when I was just over the moon for somebody to win was my former RISD professor, Andrew Raftery won 
one year. And that was just so great because he wasn't one of those mega star rocketed out of MFA Yale and wins all these things. He didn't have that 20 something career. And that was such a big deal. I mean, certainly he teaches at RISD, but in terms of that meteoric rise that everybody talks about with young artists, he didn't have that. And I think he was 40 something when he won the Guggenheim. And I was just so thrilled for that to happen. <laughs> Damn Lord. <clears throat> Hangouts are great. Bonus, no editing required. Yes. Literally, I just make the thumbnail and I put it into StreamYard and boom, I'm done. It's great. I love this less editing attitude. <laughs> cool. So we have a lot of wonderful examples. You know, I haven't watched Halloween. How is that possible? Oh dear. Go Enzo. I wish I could unsee Midsummer. <laughs> that movie was not for me. Anna's asking, how do you think about political art these days? It seems like in the day and age of trigger warnings and cancel culture, the ability of art to be controversial in a political way is curtailed. It's so difficult. It's such a different world. The way information is shared, the way content gets pushed in various spaces. I don't have any answers for how to navigate that. It's very difficult. And I've seen artists get canceled. Actually, tell me in the chat, who are some of the artists you have heard about being canceled for one reason or another? Because there's some I know about. There was that one with, was it Jake Parker, the guy that did Inktober? He had a whole spat with, um, is it Alfonso Dunn? I might be saying the wrong name, but the guy that does a lot of pen and ink stuff, there's a whole feud there. I think Noah Bradley got canceled at one point. He does a lot of concept art. And it's really hard because sometimes as much as you want to prepare yourself for any potential backlash, it's out of your control. People will react however they want to react. And I think especially it must be very hard to do editorial illustration when it's based on a very big current topic. This is from a long time ago, but Bob Stock did a New Yorker cover that was about Ferguson, which happened. And I'll see if I can find a picture of it to show you guys. But it's Bob Stock. And people were livid about this cover. Oh, I think I found it. Here it is. So this is the cover that he did. Oh, it's not. Oh, this is it. Here we go. And so it's called Broken Arch for Ferguson. And people were very angry about this cover. And I'm sure that must have been very difficult to have to face that type of backlash. I do think though, I'm not saying this is a solution, but I do think in some ways, one of the advantages of things that happen online, oh, of course, I'm, this is such a generalization. So don't 
take this as me applying this to everything. But there are certain things, if it's an illustration, where it blows up really fast and then it just dies. And sometimes that's for the better. It depends on the situation. But I know right now people are grappling with academic freedom in universities. I mean, I don't envy anybody in academia right now. That stuff that happened where the Penn University president resigned, that is such a hornet's nest of academic freedom and all these questions. And as you say, cancel culture, I, I don't know what to do with that. I wish I had a better solution. But I think the very first thing we can do as artists is to build awareness to what we're doing. And that actually goes back to Neil's question about not treating your subject with a surface level and to get feedback from other people and to make sure you're not stepping on any toes because there have been instances in art school where somebody brought in an illustration, let's say to illustrate some political thing. And there was one instance, I'm not going to give you any details because it, it's not good to do that. And it was something about some political thing. And the student brought in the illustration and there was something that was just so offensive in it. And the thing is, she didn't know. It, it, it wasn't her fault, actually. And so she just had no idea. And sometimes people do. And you're like, no, not cool. But she really didn't know. And so this was actually an experience to have in school. Because can you imagine if that had gone to press? I mean, that's why I tell students, listen, our school is your sandbox to mess up. Make your mistakes here. You don't want to be making them when the whole world is staring at you. It's very, very stressful. And we've got some great comments here, everybody. I unfortunately can't read all of them, but I hope you guys are all following some of the reactions that people are posting because they're important conversations. I, I don't think I know how to navigate it as well as I would like to, but I think that these are important things to be thinking about. And let's see what people are saying. And yes, we have some conversations here about internet scams. And yeah, you guys have to be careful. There's been a lot, especially lately. I don't know what's going on with that. Luis, thank you so much for the super chat. We so much appreciate your support. Keep those super chats and super stickers coming. They add up. They really do, you guys. In the raffle, we had so much support through super chats and super stickers. So anytime you can help us out there, we always appreciate it. Jen Noel says, I've heard some people argue it's not anything different than has always happened, that cancel culture isn't a thing, it's just consequences for your actions. Well, the consequences get played out differently because of the time period, because of the technology and everything. And it's true, this stuff has always happened. I think for me as a Gen Xer, the biggest difference I see is that everybody has a phone and can record video and photos anywhere. Folks like me and older probably see that more clearly 
because there's so many things that are getting recorded now that never got recorded. And so for me, that's a generational difference that I think is not the same, say, for my kids. My kids grew up with phones and they've always had that there. But for us, I mean, you could just be living in a bubble anywhere just because you didn't have a phone. It was a very different life. Let's see, Iron Earth and also Anna are asking, why were people angry about the cover? I don't have an explanation, so I don't want to try to give one. But if you guys look it up, you'll see some of the reactions. I mean, I think any time you have something that's so... I mean, if you look at the design, it's like this part's white, this part's black in the illustration. I'm talking visually. And that that's always really tricky, especially when it's something about race in contemporary life. Thank you so much, Counselor Chat. I wish I made more of them. Well, I'm so glad you're here with us. And Anna says, I've been considering going back to school, but academia terrifies me lately. I've been experiencing a lot of anti-Semitism lately, and there's so much anti-Semitism in academia lately. I'm so sorry to hear that, Anna. I mean, the news is really upsetting right now, what's happening in all different types of spaces. And oh, academia is, it's really, I, I don't know what I would be doing. I mean, if I was still on campus in academia, gosh, I can't imagine what I would do because you can't just sit there and do nothing. But it's tricky, especially in structures with teaching where there's this whole hierarchy of deans and it's really, really complicated. <laughs> I do remember quarters. Yes, I do. Does anybody remember this? Okay, tell me in the chat if you know what this is. When somebody does this, they take out this thing and they go, chunk, chunk. <laughs> I bet only Gen X and above knows what that is. <laughs> And RJ Dennis says, I think cancel culture is toxic. It paints people in a corner where they're labeled as a bad person and unable to change to be better. We must normalize letting people grow. Oh yeah. It's so black and white. There's no nuance to anything when it comes to cancel culture. And that's not the way the world is. Most things are not black and white there's so much subtlety. The thing is, it feels like the technology doesn't make room for people to have that nuance because nuance takes time. You can't sum that up in a 30 second video. It's ridiculous. And I think we have a question earlier from Gigi who says, I'm trying to grow on Instagram through reels. And in a year, I think I might start YouTube. Any tips? Gigi, if you can follow up with a little bit of information talking about what your goal is for the Reels and YouTube, because I can tell you right now, and actually, Gigi, you should look up, we do have a video about how to start a YouTube channel as an artist. So if you just type, let's say, Art Prof YouTube, you might find it, I think. It's on our website. So if you go to artprof.org and you type in start a YouTube channel, you'll find it. Anyway, 
here's a reason to not start YouTube. People say to me, I want to start YouTube because I want to make money. And I say to them, you know what? You'd be much better off selling lemonade on the quarter <laughs> because people look at our channel and they think because we have so many subscribers that, wow, you guys must be rolling in cash. I had a friend say to me, yeah, aren't you just set? You have the channel up. I'm like, no. I mean, the amount of revenue we get from YouTube is a small portion. It's, it's not even close to the amount that we get from our Patreon supporters. And people are shocked when they hear that, how little you can make. So if you want to start YouTube for that reason, I, I just wouldn't. In fact, I think in some ways it might be better to consolidate on Instagram because you already have a presence there. Because actually Mia Rozier, who's one of the teaching artists here, I know she for a while was thinking about starting a YouTube channel. And I talked to her about it for a long time. And ultimately she didn't start one. And you know something? She's doing so well on Instagram. So the thing is you don't need YouTube to do well as an artist online. For example, Mia had this video, let me see if I can find it for you guys, that totally blew up. It's a great video. I mean, Mia has, oh. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like I look at Mia's Instagram and I'm like, I can't paint this well. <laughs> like she's so, so good and makes beautiful, wonderful work. Here it is. So Mia did this painting and she did a reel of the painting. Let's find the reel. Here it is. So this reel totally blew up. And Mia said that she had just this flood of orders for this print and sold so many prints because of this reel. And in some ways, being on too many platforms can make it really hard because then you're spreading yourself very thin. And so you can see Mia is somebody who is not on YouTube, but is crushing it in terms of sales of her prints. But again, people have different reasons. But I will say, Gigi, one of the things that I did not understand about Reels initially, which I'm going to tell you right now, this is a little secret. And this could just be me. I mean, maybe other people don't feel this way about Reels, but I always felt like Reels had to be highly edited, I felt like they had to be beautiful shots and everything. But actually, some of the videos that can be very informative are very low key. Maybe we're not such a great example <laughs> because we have a whole team of editors and I have certain things that I want to do. But this is a video. It's one clip. I didn't do hardly anything to it. I edited it like a tiny little bit. And it's just me, I unbox a video, liquid charcoal, that is. And I'm going to do this on the live stream. And so many people were excited about this because they said, I didn't know what that is. I'm looking forward to the live stream. So it actually built anticipation for future content. So reels are really important for growth right now. I hate to tell you guys this, but 
on YouTube, our non-shorts content has just tanked because obviously we have the live streams. I'm going to keep doing these. Don't worry. These are very important for me to feel close to all of you as a community, but we've posted horizontal videos. They're just dead. And I recently, you probably have noticed I've been posting many shorts. I've been posting three a day. And you know something? We've tripled our views in the last month. And our monetization has gone up for the first time in years. I'm not exaggerating. So the thing about the algorithms, the hard truth, is that they are majorly pushing reels. On Instagram, posts are for your followers. That's fine. Your followers are very important. But in terms of reaching new audiences, reels are the way to go, which is frustrating because a lot of artists don't want to make reels. We didn't get into this to be filmmakers, but reels don't have to be that complicated. That's the important thing. In fact, I read on vidIQ, it's a YouTube channel that I follow a lot to get tips about YouTube. And they said, and I'm curious to hear if you guys think this is the case, they said that the upcoming view of YouTube in 2024 is for content to be barely edited, to be very relaxed, hangout, not those tightly edited, highly produced pieces of content, that that's the place people are moving towards in terms of what they want to watch. And it's such a different mindset because they're sort of the early era of YouTube with Mr. Beast and Mark Rober, who are super, I mean, of course, they're gigantic channels, but that's one of the reasons I've been doing these Hangouts is because it's nice and chill and I don't have to prepare and I don't have to edit. And I love chatting with you guys. This is really fun for me to do this. Let's see. Ha! You guys exposed yourselves. Credit card charge. You just sign it. You pull up the carbon paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and let's see what else people are saying about algorithms. 7A says the algorithm really wants shorts. I heard TikTok wants longer content now to try to move in on YouTube. Well, YouTube's trying to turn into TikTok itself by pushing shorts. I mean, it's so confusing. I'm getting whiplash from all the changes. The minute I think, okay, whew, I got a handle on this thing, they change something. Or then one platform pivots. Remember when Instagram had that announcement and said, oh, we're a video platform now. We're not about posts anymore. It's very frustrating for a lot of people. And, you know, sometimes I don't want to watch a video. Sometimes the still is way better. That could be my age showing. I've read in various places that the younger generations, more like Gen Z, that they would prefer to learn something through a video than through reading an article. So actually, I'm curious. Tell me if you're Gen Z, if given the option to learn something, would you rather watch a video or read an article. I always would rather read the article first. Maybe I'm just impatient. <laughs> and AA says platforms don't keep the interest of creators in mind when they just up and change the algorithm. Oh, they don't care. It doesn't matter. 
the only reason why for me YouTube is so important is because it's where the vast majority of our audience is. And so it would be worth, if you're thinking about reels or trying to make a plan, look at the platforms you're, you're on right now and ask yourself, which is the platform that has been the strongest so far and which is the one that has been crickets or I've not really spent a lot of time working on it. Cause sometimes it's worth just dropping one of them and seeing what you do. Cause you don't have to be successful in every platform. You just have to find your audience in one place. I mean, we are everywhere, but for us, it's actually more about the diversity of our audience because we have people who watch us who are 11. Isn't that amazing? I never thought that would be the case. I had a parent write me a DM and said, my kid is 11. They love your videos. And I loved that. We also have people who are 85, 91 who are watching us and everybody in between. So for our platform, it makes way more sense to be on multiple platforms because TikTok is Gen Z. Boomers are not on TikTok. Instagram is becoming millennials. And YouTube, I think, is a little bit more diverse. But that's where it's so important. Whatever any of you are trying to do on any social media platform, you have to whittle it down to where is the biggest bang for your buck. For example, we have a Facebook page. I brought it back. We had it for a long time and I just stopped because it was frustrating me. Now I have it set up. So it reposts all of our Instagram posts. And honestly, that's all the energy I have. I've replied comments and stuff, but I'm not creating new content for Facebook because it's too much. <laughs> I need to sleep, feed my kids and do all those kinds of things. <laughs> and we also have a comment here from RJ, who's Gen Z. I would absolutely rather watch a video to learn rather than read an article, but everybody's different. Oh, so different. That's one of the reasons why we have so many formats for how we teach. What I really try to do, and obviously I can't do this for everything, but we do have certain fundamental topics that are big enough that I try to have multiple ways of people consuming the information. An example would be a lot of people ask me for help photographing their artwork for various reasons. And this is a big enough topic and enough people want to know about it that we have so many resources. So there's a five minute video just for 3D, eight minute for 2D. There's one that talks about mistakes. There's a really long one. There is also a slideshow. And I can tell you, if I were given the option of all those videos in the slideshow, I would go to the slideshow first. But that's me. That's how I learn better. But then we also have these video walkthroughs where it's just bullet points. And sometimes they're more flushed out. But that's the thing about our platform is that because we are serving so many different demographics, that variety of formats is very important. I mean, I should have made an art platform for six month old babies. <laughs> that would have been really targeted and specific in terms of how to teach something. All right, so Adrian says the same thing. Much less effort than reading something. To me, a video, I feel like I gotta like pay attention. And I guess when I read, I feel like I can skim a little bit. 
so different for every single person. And this millennial, Emmy, I prefer long format videos. Art Prof is my learning style. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting how there's all this advice to not make long videos because people have no attention span, which we understand, <laughs> including myself. But we get so many comments, people saying, I love the long videos. I love the long streams where you take an hour and a half to go nowhere and do the bare beginning of the piece. Here's an example. Let me show you guys this. All right. See this? <laughs> this is a painting. You guys, this painting took two live streams and it's barely worked on. <laughs> There's like nothing happening in that painting. And that's three hours in. And I'm like, no one's going to want to watch this. It's just so slow. And yet people here tell me that seeing it in real time, not condensed, you know, these videos, my 90 hour drawing in five seconds. We don't do that here. It's just a little bit ridiculous. Artist Fav says, depends on complexity and depth. Sometimes a quick image with steps is all I need, but more in-depth quality understanding is better gained from a lecture or a long form video. Yeah, and sometimes an article doesn't do it. I mean, why do you think I'm here? <laughs> there are certain times you really want to be able to tell somebody, hey, don't hold your brush like this. Try holding it like this. I mean, that would take forever to verbally explain. So I, I really love hearing from all of you about all different formats. What are their purposes? How do they suit you? How do they not suit you? We've tried really hard to provide that diversity to accommodate people. Of course, we're not going to accommodate every person, but we do the best we can. Retrospective says, what do you think about nostalgia? Do you think it's healthy or not to embrace the future? And I mean it in an artistic way. Oh, here we go. Sorry, follow up. The past. Okay. Do you think it's healthy or not to embrace the past? Okay, I understand. <laughs> Depends on the person. For some people, they have parts of their past that are deeply painful and would not benefit from artistically or not. I know I had a point, I was seeing this therapist this couple of years ago and she ended up not being a good match for me. And one of the reasons I didn't like her is I just always felt like when I went to therapy that she just was like dredging up all the crap from my life. And I, I just didn't want that stuff like shoved in my face. I mean, part of that was her, her style, the way she talked to me about things. There are certainly circumstances where maybe revisiting some of those things can be positive. But in that circumstance with that therapist, it was really hard for me. And that's why I left because I couldn't do it anymore. It was too difficult. But to answer your question, do you think it's healthy or not to embrace the past? I don't think there's any answer I can give because it's just so specific to the person. And I would say if it's something that helps fuel you artistically, do it. I mean, Jarrett Krasowska, I'll pull up his Instagram so you guys know who I'm talking about. He's been on the stream with us before, and he wrote this graphic novel that was a memoir. 
called Hey Kiddo. It's this book right here. And I am astounded at how deep he dug into his life and looking at the way he did the graphic novel, Hey Kiddo. And I remember at one point I read it is a brilliant book. One of the best graphic novels I ever read. And I remember reading it and thinking, I could never dig this deep into my past. It would be too difficult for me. So for me, seeing that he was able to do that, I was just blown away by what it must have taken for him to revisit all of those things, document it in such depth and share it with the world. I mean, that is so powerful and so moving. And there are ways that digging into your past certainly can be very fruitful as an artist, but it's up to the individual person. And we also have, okay, Ellie Dove loves the long streams. And Banana Nut says, I think it makes perfect sense. Visually oriented people learn well from video formats. That's not to discredit reading though. I think both books and videos are great. I wish I had more time to read books. I feel sort of lame <laughs> that I don't do it more often. In fact, oh God, you guys, this is so dumb. People have asked me so many times to give my opinion on this book by Nell Painter. It's called Old in Art School. Maybe some of you have read it. Tell me in the chat if you've read it or heard about it. But so Nell Painter is this historian, has a very successful academic career in history. And she went back to do an undergraduate degree in art at Rutgers and then did her MFA at RISD. And so it's all about her returning as a student in a completely different field. You guys, that book has been sitting on my shelf at least two years. And I've read it here and there. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just such a picky reader. I have trouble getting into books unless they're really gripping. And so maybe it's just this isn't that type of book and it's not a great fit for me, but it's, I just can't finish it. It's like my paintings. I just can't finish it. Some of you may have seen that reel. It's just like a list of like, well, this isn't done and that's not done. And this one's been sitting around since September. Actually, that's not that long, <laughs> but it needs a lot of work. I need to repaint. Like th this is actually too low, this ring. I need to move it up, which means I have to totally repaint. And actually this bottom part down here, it's a painting that's in the lobby, but I was gonna paint Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. And I don't know what's happening here. So we'll see. <laughs> Who really knows? <laughs> yes, thank you, Blue. You guys, anytime you hit the like button, Anytime you leave a comment, it can be an emoji comment. It doesn't have to, YouTube doesn't care how long the comment is. That boosts us in the algorithm. So I know some of you aren't able to contribute to raffles and things like that. And that's exactly why we're here. But these little things, they, they really do add up, you guys. Sometimes I think, oh, this doesn't matter. But it does. It really, really does. Starving artists says, I do love the long format videos. Time to get a good idea of a process or concept. Never watch shorts, et cetera. They are like frosting, but no cake. Learn nothing. Well, 
different videos serve different purposes. Some of them are just pure entertainment. Other times it's educational and depends on what you're looking for. You know, it was really funny, Counselor Chip. So Counselor Chip is saying, I could have watched Bob Ross videos, but I got a human art teacher, Boomer here. I was trying to explain to my kids the other day that when I was a kid, there's no Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Hulu, any of these things. And that sometimes we just watched what was on because there were three channels. Remember that? And I watched so much Bob Ross because there just was nothing else on. <laughs> this idea of, oh, there are all these shows and you can watch them anytime you want and you can pick them. And so I'm like, you guys don't understand the pain of driving home to get home to watch your favorite TV show on time. Because if you missed it, that was it. It was over. You might never see that one episode ever again, even if you watched all the reruns. It was very painful. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm still getting over a little bit of that cough that I had earlier. Gargi is asking any advice on how to find the theme for a series. I started with one, but lost interest after just one painting. That's a really good thing that you did, Gargi, because I think anytime we have a concept that we're sort of auditioning for a series. It's almost like that painting was a test run to see, hey, can I sustain this? And a lot of projects are like that, where you first think about it and get excited, but then you try it and you're like, eh, not really. The sign of a good series is when you have so many ideas that your hands can't keep up with your head. The first time that happened for me was in graduate school. I had to do my thesis and your thesis is kind of a big deal when you're doing your MFA. And I remember feeling like the earlier work I had done as an undergraduate and after my BFA was surface level, like what Neil said. And that I, I didn't really go that deep with any of it. And when I came up with the idea for this project about digging, oh my gosh, it's like somebody lit my head on fire. I, I couldn't stop. I, I was just working on it all the time. Tell me in the chat, do you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? We should come up with a name for this. When you're so excited about what you're making that you forget to use the bathroom, you don't eat, which is kind of insane. And I don't mean like not eat ever. I mean like within the span of 12 hours type of thing. I mean, I love eating. And for me to be hungry and still working, that, that's a sign that I'm really into what I'm doing. And I've had times where I'm so into something that I'll stay up really late, way past when I should. But it's like you don't want to lose that incredible conviction that you're feeling in the moment. And that doesn't happen all the time. I think for me, it's very rare for me to have that but I have had a couple moments like that in my life. But anyway, Gargi, finding a theme, first of all, sometimes it's hard to recognize, but you know what does help Gargi actually? Go back and look at your old work. And sometimes when you've taken that step back, you can look at it and say, hey, are there any connections 
Am I noticing something that I'm doing in these pieces? For example, maybe you notice that a lot of your pieces have a lot of cultural associations. Maybe a lot of your pieces have similar facial expressions, or maybe the work is always about food and you just never knew <laughs> that type of thing. So I would just say, Gargi, you don't have to push yourself to find that subject because it doesn't happen fast. You can't rush it. You have to really give yourself the space to find that content and that that's fine. <laughs> Heart says euphoria art. I love that. Oh yeah, maybe it's flow. That's what C. Control says. In the zone. Yeah, something like that for sure. I think being an artist is complicated. It is not an easy thing to do ever, but don't we love it, you guys? Isn't it just the most wonderful thing? It's just ah, so great. I know it drives me crazy. <laughs> Join our Patreon group. This is such a great chance to share your art in weekly voice sessions with our staff, get critiques and support from me, and also finding support in a small group of artists. Art Prof has services. We have artist calls, personal art curriculums, artist statement editing, portfolio critiques, and a huge thank you to our top Patreon supporters. You guys are giving us way more revenue than our YouTube channel ever will. You are so important to keeping the lights on. So thank you to all of you for supporting us. Art Prof has a podcast is available on Spotify and also on iTunes and subscribe to our channel for more critiques, art tutorials, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time. Bye.